Loved ones, let's direct our full attention now to God's holy word. Our first text is Malachi 4, 1 through 6. Malachi 4, 1 through 6. This is the word of God. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And yes, all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb before all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Our New Testament text, Luke 1, verses 67 through 80. Now his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Amen. Thanks be to God for his Word. Let's bow our heads now in prayer and ask that he would bless it to us. Lord, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, plow up our hearts, turn, turn over the soil, make it, make it receptive to the holy seed of your word, which has now been sown among us, that we would receive your word, that we'd hear it. Heed it, trust it, obey it, and look in faith and rest in faith on our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you do this for us by your almighty power and out of your tender mercy. Amen. Luke's gospel opens with 
two chapters which are so well known to us, these chapters which tell us about the story of, of Jesus' birth. And the, the stories are, are very familiar, uh, and we know the way that, that they, they go. But, but every now and then, Luke hits pause, and he turns and he says, no, let me tell you what this, let me tell you what this is all about. You've been listening to this story. You've, you've been seeing the characters and seeing what they've been doing and how they've been acting. Well, pause. We're going to have a song now. And you're going to listen to what this song says. And this song is going to give you a key to understanding what, what's going on. Luke's Gospel, these first two chapters, are punctuated with these, these four songs. Mary's song first, which we saw last week. Zechariah's song, which we are taking up today. Next week, the angel's song. And then one more, Simeon's song in the temple after our Lord is, is born. And with these four songs, the Holy Spirit inspiring Luke to record what was sung by these dear saints is saying, let me, let me tell you what this means for you. Last week, we looked at Mary's song. It's a wonderful hymn of praise. It begins with this exuberant shout of joy. My soul rejoices in God. My my spirit magnifies God, my Savior. Why is she she rejoicing? She's stunned by the mercy of God to little, lowly, nobody, Mary. That God is lifting up the lowly with his salvation. He didn't come for the great and the righteous and the mighty of earth. He came for the sinners. And she's exuberant about that. Rejoicing in it and saying, come praise him with me because you're lowly too. And you need his mercy too. That was last week. This week, we take up Zachariah's song. And it starts almost exactly the same way, doesn't it? It starts with a shout of praise. We could say it's written in the same key as, as Mary's song. Uh, Zechariah is just erupting in joyful worship. He says, Blessed is the Lord, God of Israel. His words are charged with the language of the Psalms. You can hear the echo of so many of the Psalms of praise there in his, in his words. He feels, brothers and sisters, he feels the full force of the grace of God to him. And he is overwhelmed with joy. He can't contain his joy. He says, I'm blessing God. Come bless God with me. Come praise him with me. If you know his story, I'm sure, I'm sure you know his story. Uh, but if you know his story, you'll know something of why he's rejoicing in God. Zechariah was a priest in Jerusalem. He was old. He was married uh, to his wife, Elizabeth, but they had no children. And it had been many years. Uh, and now they're far past the age of being able to have children. Uh, but, but then, one day, an angel comes to him as he's ministering in the temple. An angel comes to Zechariah in this overwhelming vision and tells him, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. And Zechariah is incredulous. He struggles to believe it. The angel responds, nothing's impossible with God, but because you didn't believe, I'm going to give you this sign. You're not going to be able to speak until the child is born. Nine very quiet months go by for Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Uh, But then, the baby's born. And uh, eight more days go by, still no speaking. They bring the boy on the eighth day, as is the custom, to be circumcised. And they ask, well, what's his name going to be? And Zechariah, in obedience to what God had told him, he can't speak, but he writes on a tablet, his name is John. And with that, his mouth opens. 
He can speak. And what does he do? What, what does he say? Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. He bursts into praise. Wouldn't you? If, if, if God had done this for you, his, his tongue is loose, he's filled with the Spirit, he praises the Lord. So there's one reason for his joy there, right? God's, God's personal providence to him. He's have a, he has a son, but so much more than that. The reason for his joy is, is what this son means. His song actually barely mentions his son at all. And when it does, it doesn't mention it for personal reasons. I'm sure he's overjoyed that he's got a son, but uh, his, his joy is about something so much bigger and wider and deeper than that. The reason for his joy is that God himself is coming to visit his people with salvation. That the Savior that we've waited for is here. His son's going to have a role in announcing the Savior is here, and he is rejoicing that the, the Savior has come. And that, that's what his song about. And brothers and sisters, God in this text calls us to join with Zechariah, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, to join in that praise because the long-expected Jesus has come to free us as God promised he would. We're going to look at the text now, uh, uh, Zechariah's song. Um, I've included a handout in the bulletin, so if you you have that, it would probably be helpful to to just pull it out for a minute. It shows us the structure of this song. Uh, It's not structured in a straight line. Uh, One thought leading to the next, leading to the next, ending with the conclusion, beginning, end. It's it's structured as a chiasm, uh, which is just a device that is used sometimes in in the Bible um, where it's a mirroring structure. And if you see it on the handout there, you'll understand what I'm saying, I think. Uh, the, The text works its way into a main point, and then works its way back out, reflecting the other points. So the first and the last points correspond. The second and the second to last points correspond. The third and the third to last points correspond. And then right in the middle, you get the heart of it all, all by itself. You can see that there in the the way I've laid that out in in the handout for you. And what we're going to do is, is work through this then with four headings, unpacking each of these main ideas in the text. So we'll be working from the outside in. If you've ever been to, as a kid, I used to love throwing my penny in at the thing at Walmart and it would circle its way down. That's sort of what we're doing, right? We start on the outside, we go around and around and down to the middle of the text here. Uh, That's what we're going to do. Here's the first point then. The sunrise of salvation. This is verses 68 and 69. 78 and 79. The sunrise of salvation. Verse 68. We'll start there. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel because for he has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah is praising God because he's come to visit. And we use that word visit for casual things, right? We visit with each other after church down by the, down by the coffee. We, we, we chat and we, we, we catch up with each other. But when the Bible uses the word for visit, when, when God comes to visit, it's a, it's a big thing. It's a weighty and serious thing. When he comes to visit, he comes to save his people and judge his enemies. It's a word that shows up in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, to describe what God does when he comes to save his people from slavery in Egypt. He comes to visit them. Exodus four thirty-one, And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he'd seen their affliction, 
they bowed their heads and worshipped. Just like Zechariah. God has come to visit. They bow and they worship. And Zechariah, as he, as he sings his song, he's looking back on that moment long ago in, in the Exodus when God came to visit his people and deliver them from slavery and bring them into the promised land. And he says, that was just the warm-up showing us something of, of the reality that's now come in Christ. Yes, God came to visit us in a way in the Exodus, but so much more. He's come now to visit us. That little baby in Mary's womb is God come to visit his people. God himself, the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity who is from everlasting to everlasting, come in judgment and salvation is wrapped in flesh in Mary's womb. And he's come to save his people and Zechariah is rejoicing in this glorious mystery. Verse 60, that's verse 68, verse 69. So Zechariah rejoices in 68 that uh, God has come to visit his people. Verse 69, he sings that God himself has raised up David's descendant to be the Messiah. He compares him to a horn. He calls him the horn of salvation. Um, what, do you, what do you picture when some, you read in the Bible? The horn of salvation. Maybe you picture a trumpet, right? Sounding out, victory is here. Uh, well, that is kind of a nice picture, but it's not the picture here. Picture, picture a, an ox. Picture a bull with great horns bellowing and raging and running towards an enemy. That's the, that's the picture. In the ancient Near East, this was a picture that they used for strength and might and heroics. Uh, that, 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 that's, what, uh, that's what the picture is here. God has brought a horn of salvation. He's brought a mighty Savior, the King, our Lord Jesus Christ, from the line of David. This is the one who's promised who would be like David, but greater than David. So this is what Zechariah is saying in these first two verses. With the coming of Jesus Christ, number one, God himself has come to visit and redeem us in a greater way than in the Exodus. And number two, the Messiah has come in a greater way than the Lord's anointed with, with, with David. He's come to save us. But what is that salvation? And to see that, we circle around to the other side of the song, down to verses 78 and 79, excuse me, 77 through, through 79, to look at what, what is this salvation? Okay, God has come to visit us. The Messiah, David's descendant, the horn of salvation, he's come to save us. What does he do? Verses 77 through 79 show us, first of all, he brings forgiveness of sins. Verse 77, Zechariah here equates salvation with forgiveness. This is, this is the, if you can boil the gospel down to its essence, here's what you get. The forgiveness of sins. Think of this, Zechariah's perspective on this, right? As he's a priest. What, is it, what has been his job for years now? To go and offer a sacrifice for sins. And then to do it again the next day. And again the next day. And year after year, he takes the animals that the people bring and he slaughters them on the altar and the blood goes out. Forgive their sins. But, but he keeps having to do it again and again and again. The sacrifices are a, are a, are a stopgap measure, but they're not accomplishing 
full forgiveness. There needs to be a better sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins, Hebrews says. And so Zechariah now, he's singing that the sacrifice to forgive our sins is here to be offered. The one who is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament sacrifices. And Zechariah sees this and he rejoices. God has arrived. And what has He come to do in the Messiah? He's come to forgive us of all our guilt and all our sin. This is the thought that floods his heart with, with joy and makes him burst out in, in song here, brothers and sisters. Have you tasted that forgiveness? And have you rejoiced in it? And are you rejoicing in it? The way that Zechariah does in the song. You have a record of sin. And it is all on you without our Lord Jesus Christ. Time doesn't make sin less sinful. All those sins of your past, present, and all the sins of your future, those are all an ever-present reality apart from Christ. Hanging over you and condemning you. Your heart is desperately sick and desperately wicked. But the gospel is Jesus came to forgive, forgive our sins. He came, he came to pay all of that price and wash it all away and lift that burden off your back forever. That's the first part of this salvation that uh, we see in, in verses 77 and 79. The next part, verses 78 and 79, we see this salvation compared to the dawn. And it's pointed out to us that this is the dawn of, of the new creation. Verse 78, wonderful, wonderful words here. Verse 78, Zechariah sings this. He says, the day spring from on high has visited us. There's the word visit again, right? Here at the end, as it was at the beginning of his song. You see that parallel? Just like in those opening words, God has come to visit us in Christ. What's that visit like? Zechariah says it. It's like a sunrise. Think, think of a, a beautiful sunrise that you've seen. An unforgettable sunrise. I have one in particular that stands in my mind. Uh, a sunrise I saw at the top of Cadillac Mountain in Acadia National Park. You have to get there really early uh, uh, in, in the summer to, to see it um, uh, because this is the first place in the nation, at least that's what they say, uh, first place in the nation to get the sunrise. Uh, but it, it, it was worth waiting for. My wife and I, before we were married, went up really early one morning and we waited in the dark for that sun to come up. And, and it, just, it just blossomed with light across the whole sky, pink and gold. And uh, I'll never, never forget that, that beautiful sight. Um, that, that, that's the picture Zechariah is painting for us in the text. There's a sunrise, the sunrise of our salvation. We've been waiting in the dark. Israel's been waiting in the dark. All humanity's been waiting in, in, in the dark. And now the sun is coming up. Those words of Malachi we read earlier, Malachi 4.2, prophesy this. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. He develops this picture. Zechariah continues to develop this in the next verse, verse 79. What's this sunrise doing? It's giving light, naturally, right? Give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of, of peace. 
He's, we've, we've been in the dark, and he's describing that dark as, 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 as the spiritual darkness that's been hanging over God's people for so long, all the way since, uh, since man's fall into sin. Zechariah looks back over Israel's history, and he sees this history of, of oppression and persecution and sin and failure and wandering and, and death. That was not only... Israel's experience, but it's, it's our experience too. We live under the shadow of death apart from Christ and the sunrise of his gospel. I heard a song on the radio just the other day that described life like this. My love is a loneliness. It sits just next to greed. It comes on quick and wasteful. If everyone leaves and everyone dies, it's just a question of when. If everyone cheats and everyone lies, rather at me than them. If the worst should happen, and it will and will again, I will still be standing with loneliness, my friend. What a depressing song. Loneliness is my friend, and that's all I've got. Everyone leaves, cheats, dies. That's life in a broken world. And that resonates, doesn't it? The darkness of sin in your heart and what it's done to you and what sin has done in those around you, uh, the way it's separated you from dear ones. And then there's all the other effects of sin and the curse, right? The chronic pain and, and sickness and, 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 and then death itself. We're, we're living under the shadow of death and, and under the wrath and curse of God for our sin. Paul in Ephesians 2.12 describes our life like this. You were without hope and without God in the world. That's the dark night we're all living under and in apart from Christ. But then suddenly Zechariah sings the sun is coming up. Right. All that death and sin and darkness, now the sun of Christ is rising into the sky. And as Malachi 4 says, it's bringing healing in its wings. The wings of the sunrise, right? The rays of the light stretching out. What, what does Christ bring? This sunrise of salvation. It brings the new creation. Sin forgiven and all sin's symptoms Overcome. It brings wholeness and healing. It brings, what does he say in the text? It guides our feet into the way of peace, shalom, wholeness, being made right with God again, made right with others again. Brothers and sisters, the sun is up. Christ has come. Your sin is forgiven. And all sin symptoms, he's already going to be working on those too bringing healing to, to your relationship with Him and to each other. And, and there's this sweet promise the sun's not going to stop rising until the kingdom comes in all its fullness. And this is, this is why uh, Zechariah is singing, isn't it? Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is like this glorious sunrise. Have you seen the sunrise of God's salvation in Christ, dawning over your dark, sinful, hurting heart. Have you seen, have you felt the warmth of the gospel wash over you? Bringing healing in its wings. That's our first point. Sunrise of salvation. Second, 
spiraling down, digging deeper now into the song. Second point, this is from verse 70 and 76. The revelation of our salvation. This part of Zechariah's song is about how God has revealed salvation to us. He starts with the prophet's of old, verse 70. God has spoken in the past through His prophets since the world began, He says. That, that, that's old. You, you can't get older than that. Right? This is an old message, Zechariah is saying. Is he, is he right? Of course he's right. It's the Word of God. But, but how far back does the message of salvation go in the Bible? It doesn't start with our Lord Jesus Christ's coming in the flesh. It starts further back. It pushes all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3.15. What's the promise? Adam and Eve, you've just sinned. You've, you've broken my covenant. You've broken my law. I'm exiling you into the dark. But there's going to be a son who comes to save you. And then the rest of history in the Old Testament is unfolding that promise, isn't it? as God raises up prophets who keep saying the same thing. They take that, that, that overture of Genesis 3.15 and they develop it into a symphony with all these themes played throughout the Scriptures. He sends Moses and Samuel and David and Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah, all the prophets singing the same song with variations on a theme. The Savior is coming. God is coming to save you. And then the music goes quiet. The prophecies stop. And there's a 400 year interlude of silence um, left hanging. Would God finish saying what he had been saying? Would, would, he, would he continue to, to prophesy and give us the word of salvation? And then the angel comes to Zechariah. Your son is going to be the prophet. The prophet of the Most High. Your, your son is going to be the one who wakes everyone up. He's the alarm clock that wakes up Israel that the Messiah is here. The Christ is here. And, and that's what we see in verse 76. So verse 70, Zechariah is looking back at all the prophets before who said, God is coming to save you. And now he's in verse 76. He says, and you, my son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you're going to preach this message of salvation. You've been given a privilege, my dear little boy, John, uh, eight days old. You've been given a privilege that no other prophet in the history of all the prophets had. The highest privilege of standing right next to the Lord Jesus Christ and pointing people to Him and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why is this so important for us? Why, why should we rejoice? We're standing pretty far removed from John um, and uh, the events here. Um, why is it so important to us to praise God for the prophets He sent to reveal His Word? It's important, brothers and sisters, because if you don't hear the message, it doesn't do you any good. If you don't hear the good news, your life isn't changed by the good news. A wonderful event can happen, and if you know nothing about it, it doesn't change you. Um, at the end of Shakespeare's tragedy, King Lear, it's, it's a devastating play. I watched a version of it a few, a few weeks back. Um, uh, it, it's, it's just devastating. Uh, King, King Lear at the end, um, uh, 
He's been in a struggle for his throne. Um, there's been one of his three daughters has been faithful. Two of the others have, uh, have uh, betrayed him. But at, at the end, the, the good guys win the battle. There's a duel between the villain and the hero, and the villain dies. And as the villain dies, he, he takes back the order he gave to have King Lear's daughter put to death. He had ordered her put to death. They were going to have her put to death. Just as he's about to die, he, says, he takes back the order. But the news doesn't get back in time. And she's put to death. And then King Lear himself dies uh, from the tragedy of it all. Um, it's devastating to watch, right? You think, if only they had known the good news that, that the good guys had won and that she didn't need to be put to death. But the news didn't get there in time. So it matters. It matters that you hear the news, doesn't it? That, that the news comes to you. How does the message that the sunrise of salvation has risen, how does that good news come to our hearts and give us life and save us from death? Well, it comes through the prophets. It comes through the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 verses, uh, through 15 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him and whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You've got, to, you've got to hear the message. The way to receive forgiveness of sins and through, receive salvation in Christ is faith. And to have faith, you have to hear the word. And so that's what Zachariah is rejoicing in. God has not only saved us, but he's told us that he's saved us. He's told us how to be saved. He's revealed it to us through all the prophets. And, and, and through John as well, from Genesis all the way through the New Testament also, God has revealed for us. He's made it plain, brothers and sisters. He's, he's written out in a book for you to read how to have eternal life and salvation and come under the sweet influence of the gospel. You won't know what it feels like to have the sunrise of the new creation shedding its warmth and light and grace over your life if you're not in the Word and reading what the prophets have to say about it. Um, I've seen it too many times, heard it too many times, of, of people in the church often who think they know what the gospel is, but they're not getting light or warmth from the sunrise of salvation. And it's because they're not, they're not abiding in the Word and listening to all that the prophets have spoken about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So we have seen the sunrise of salvation in Christ. Pay attention to the revelation of salvation because that's, that's where you come to know it and to feel it working its way out in your, in your life. Third point, third heading, the end of our salvation or the goal of, of our salvation. This is verse 71 and then back around at the, towards the end, verses 74 through 75. Uh, we've seen the good news, right? Sal the, the, the Savior has come. The sunrise of salvation has come. We've had the revelation of that salvation through the prophets. What's the point of it all? That's what we see next here in Zechariah's song. What's it all for? Well, these verses tell us, brothers and sisters, that we've been saved to serve. Saved in order to serve. Verse 71 that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. We looked at this last week, especially. Our enemies are, are, are largely spiritual enemies, but they're no less real 
It's the enemies of our sin. It's the enemy of death. It's the enemy of Satan and the powers of darkness. Right? All, all these things which threaten us with hell an eternal damnation that Christ comes to crush and free us from. Just like the Israelites in Egypt, their shackles broken and they're freed, so Christ has come to set us free from our enemies. And what's it for? Verses 74 to 75. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. We've been saved to serve. Can you hear the echoes of Exodus again? They're all through here. Um, God demands Pharaoh in Exodus over and over. Verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1 of Exodus is one example. He says to him, Let my people go so that they might serve me. This is his purpose in, in his covenant salvation, his redemption of his people. Bring them to myself have a relationship with them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people and they'll serve me. And Zechariah is singing because in Christ, this has come to its sweet fruition, hasn't it? God rescuing, redeeming his people in a way never done before. And now also bringing us to serve him in a way better than ever before. Now, that might not sound very appealing at first, right? Good news. You're a servant. Good news. You've been saved to be a servant. What, what, you know, what ladder of ambition have you ever seen that works down? Right? No one talks about descending the social ladder. No CEO has ambitions to be the janitor of the company. It's, it's the other way around. But, but Jesus in the gospel saves us to serve. But it is, it is a gift, isn't it? Service. To be a servant of, of the Lord God. Notice how Zechariah talks about it. He says, we, we are granted to serve. We've been gifted by the grace of God to be able to serve, he says. And not, not this burden, not this obligation that is too heavy, laid on our backs. Uh, not, not that, but, but, but real freedom to serve. There are a couple ideas, uh, three ideas actually, intertwined in this idea of serving God that Zechariah is rejoicing in. Um, the first part of this service is, is worship. Worship. We've been set free to worship. The word used for serve here is a word that can mean uh, serve, but it also means, it means worship as well. It means to minister in God's house. It means to be a priest. This is what the priests do. This is what Zachariah has done for his whole life. He's served, ministered, and worshipped in the house of, of God. And he's singing that God has come in Christ to give all his people this wonderful privilege of service in the Lord's house, to be priests in his house, morning and evening before him all our days, offering sacrifices of praise. This is what God sent Jesus to do, to save you so that you could worship him, so that so you can be here this morning God became man so you could be here this morning. And Christ died so you could be here this morning and hear the gospel and worship in song and, and in prayer and, and in hearing his word. The second strand of this service, the first is worship. The second is obedience. We've been, we've been set free to obey. 
Righteousness and, and holiness is what we're talking about here. The Israelites in Egypt are set free from physical chains, no longer slaves to their Egyptian masters, uh, no longer under the whips and orders of, of their, their tyrants in Egypt. Uh, and so, brothers and sisters, we've been set free from our slavery to sin. That, that, that sin, that temptation, which once stood over us, whip in hand, commanding us to, 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 to go on in sin, right? That, that slavery that bound us, no longer there. We've been set free to walk in holy living before the Lord and to be what He has called us to be. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You've been saved from the power of sin to walk, to run in the commandments of God. The third strand of this service is that it's forever. It's an ongoing, it's, a, it's, it's an eternal service. This service of worship and obedience and fellowship and covenant with God is something that goes on and, and on. Verse 73 says that uh, we've been set free to do this all the days of our life. And in the Greek, the, the, the part there of our life is not there. It simply says we've been set free to do this all our days. It's not limited to a lifespan. It's not limited to, to one person's lifespan. But it, it, goes, it goes on and on into eternity. Throughout Israel's history, you get, you get a good judge. And the people are, are good for a little while. And then it ends. And they don't serve him anymore. They turn away and they serve idols. You get a good king. And the people serve God for a little while. And then his life ends. His dynasty ends. And, and um, the people fall away again. But now the king has come who serves God forever and who keeps God's people serving Him forever, serving Him without fear. Brothers and sisters, this is our certain future as Christians, as the church, serving God faithfully forever without falling away. That is what is in store for the people of God. All right, we've worked through We've worked through the three outer rings, right? The, the three layers, outer layers of this, um, this song. We've seen the sunrise of salvation. We've seen that God has given us a revelation of this salvation. We've seen that the goal of it all is to serve God forever. Wonderful things, right? Just glorious promises, glorious truths of the gospel. But what we've been digging around closer and closer to the middle, down further in, what's at the heart? What's the bedrock holding up all this? How can we know that it's all true and that this will be true for us? We come to the center here, verses 72 and 73, which is the rock of our salvation. All of this, this glorious salvation that, that Zechariah has been singing about depends on the covenant promise of God. Verses 72 to 73. Let me read these. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, 
the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Zechariah, at the heart of his song, is this. God remembered what he said he would do. And that covenant, that, that, that solemn, permanent relationship that he entered with us, and that promise to show us mercy, or chesed, steadfast, loyal love, that's what is the bedrock of the whole thing. Will God fail to save you? Will he fail to save his people? This sunrise of salvation that's come up in the sky, will, will, will clouds obscure it? Will, will it go back down? Will night come? We look at our lives, they are full of many failures. We look at the church, and it is weak and overwhelmed to our eyes. Will God save us? Zechariah says, look at the heart of it all, which is the covenant promise of God. Remember that promise to Abraham? Genesis 15. That covenant he made with him. What, what, what happened in Genesis 15 with the covenant with Abraham? That, that's where Zechariah is looking. What, what did God do? Well, yeah, he told Abraham, take, take, these, take some animals, cut them in half, and set the pieces of the halves over against each other. Create this grisly walkway of animals torn in two, one on this side, one on that side. Right down. So there's this path to walk between. This is what would happen when a greater king in the ancient world would, would make a treaty with a lesser king. He'd say, this is what I promised to do for you, and here's what I demand that you do in response for me. And let's walk through the pieces of these cut animals together to say that if either of us doesn't hold up our end of this relationship, then may it be done to me as was done to these animals. May I be destroyed. Um, but as God creates this covenant with Abraham, he's the only one who goes through the pieces. Abraham is asleep the whole time. And God himself walks through. And God is saying to Abraham, I will do everything I've said I will do. And I will make sure that, that, that every obligation of the covenant I myself uphold. If you break the covenant, if you fail on your end, I'll pay for it. And this is what this is this is this is at the center of Zechariah's song, this stunning, gracious covenant promise of God that, that God Himself will make sure by His grace that this covenant holds no matter what. At the heart of it is our Lord Jesus Christ. Because He's come now. He's come and, and, and He's come to be ripped apart for our sin and covenant breaking. So that God can keep his chesed, his mercy and his love for us in this covenant that he's made. What does Jesus say as he prepares to go to the cross to his disciples as he institutes the Lord's Supper? This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's the, this whole wonderful salvation. This is what's at the heart of all of it. Covenant promise of God. And the covenant mediator, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love to sing the words, don't we? His oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the whole gospel stands. 
It doesn't depend on you, your faithfulness, your obedience, your righteousness, your goodness, but on Him and His grace. So, loved ones, the sunrise has come. Salvation in Christ has come with, with healing in its wings. God has revealed it by His prophets. He's, he's shown it to us. He's made it known to us. He's crushed our enemies so we can serve Him with joy for all our days, worshiping Him. How can all of this be? Because God became man to pay for our sins and seal with His own blood our covenant with Him forever and ever. So, let's join with Zechariah. Let's, let's sing His praise, rejoicing in the God of Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice in what you've done, and we marvel at your gospel. We pray that we would, uh, we, we would take your word to heart and walk in the sunrise of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.